Hello and welcome to Front and Center, a show dedicated to insights and perspectives on commercial real estate investment across the public and private markets. For more information, please visit centersquare.com. Welcome back to another episode of Front and Center. I'm Uma Moriarty, Senior Investment Strategist and Global ESG Lead here at Center Square, and I'm joined today by Patrick Wilson. He is a portfolio manager for our listed real estate platform, and we're wrapping up earnings season here for the REITs in the U.S., which always really serves as a great update for what's happening on the ground across various different property types and markets. Patrick, I know you've been busy synthesizing what came out of earnings season, what that means as we look forward. So thank you for joining us today to talk about that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let's start out with an easy one. We expected industrial to slow going into this earnings season, and it played out pretty much as we expected. But maybe just share with us, what were your key takeaways from that sector? Yeah, happy to share. I mean, as it relates to industrial, we, of course, saw the the scare that was the supply ramping over the last four quarters uh, that has led to kind of upticks across the board in vacancy levels. And as soon as we said that, we we started seeing that supply started coming off pretty quickly, meaning shovels down, at least in the REIT sense and the broader market. Uh, people really deferred or, or flat out delayed altogether the projects that they had planned. So we've seen, uh, to be fair, flatlining rent growth. We've, we've certainly seen these years of mid-teens and, and high single digits, low double digit type uh, rent growth that's come through COVID. That has gone to effectively zero or call it somewhere in very, very low single digit levels, flatlining is what I would call it. And the, the fortunate thing, though, is in the you know, last two quarters, we've seen that rent growth come off, but we've also seen starts fall greater than 40% across the U.S. And so while demand has come down a little bit, uh, we've seen softening demand uh, to the tune of about 12% softening year over year. Uh, that's been met with a greater than 40% slowdown in supply coming to market. So that supply really does seem to be slowing down enough to meet some of the, the softening demand and, and lead us to a, kind of a, a flatlining rent level. We've also been hearing a lot about the nearshoring and onshoring of manufacturing. Is that something that you're seeing across any of these markets? Yeah, so we did get some good demand statistics out of some of the REITs particularly the, the ones in the Southeast continue to see what I would call more resilient demand. There is not the same slowdown. I would characterize just for a brief second that the demand, uh, what we have seen is larger tenants, bigger box blocks of space. That's where the material slowdown has been in, in net absorption, uh, whereas the smaller tenants have continued to, to percolate along. But going back to the question on the, on the nearshoring, I mean, that, that has very much been expressed by some of the more border regions. So the Texas is, you know, Markets like Arizona, Southern California have continued to see pretty steady demand, uh, while the rest of the, the country has um, seen a little bit of that that slowdown. And, and it's really coming from, as you said, the the onshoring in this case, or even nearshoring. Uh, we're seeing that percolate across south of the border in Mexico. So, um, to give you a sense of that, because usually when we think about dry bulk warehouse, that's a logistical sense, whereas you know, which would differ from manufacturing. Uh, we've seen in that same tape of a 12% softening in warehouse demand, we've seen greater than 50% increase in manufacturing net absorption year over year. So that's 23 over 22. And the preponderance of that has been uh, really in the Southeast is where you're really seeing things. And it's particularly played into uh, a lot of the uh, EV electric vehicle production is starting to take place. So very much seeing that theme 
as I said, playing through in the you know southeast of the U.S. and other border regions of the U.S. as well as in the north end of Mexico, we're seeing some as well. Awesome. Switching to the residential front, we had Rob Goldstein on a couple of weeks ago to preview earnings season, and he was concerned about weakness in certain Sunbelt markets because of higher supply. But something even more interesting, I think, came out of the results we saw from the multifamily REITs, and that was really the difference between the performance that we saw for Class A versus Class B properties. Can you talk a bit more about that? Great question, because that was probably the bigger takeaway. As you stated, we expected with the big upticks in supply that Sunbelt, um, as they did, and we saw new October rent lease signings fall off much greater at a greater pace than than Coastal. So Sunbelt, absorbing some of that supply, expected a peak in mid-24 is our best look at supply right now. When we look at the A's versus B's, to your point, what's been different this time around is really you would typically think that nobody's building a, a brand new B and we describe A's and B's versus as a function of price point. And with construction costs where they are, it really doesn't pencil to building or delivering B's right now. And so typically you'd expect the A's to suffer kind of as new A supply comes in and compete against that A's. And that's a little bit different than what we're seeing right now. So in the Sun Belt, as we came through COVID and we saw mass migration to lower tax regimes, we saw that B pricing really compressed to A pricing such that the delta was not that meaningful to jump from an A to a B in those Sun Belt regions. And it was also mentioned on the call uh, by a couple of management teams that the use of technology in order to price shop uh, has created a much more sophisticated renter. And that they can now, with aggregators online, see who's offering, how much free rent, what would be my net effective rent, et cetera. And that's very different than what we've seen in prior supply cycles. And so as a result, much to our kind of surprise or a little bit counterintuitively, Bs have actually been suffering every bit as much, if not more, than the A product in these Sunbelt markets that are experiencing a high amount of supply. So kind of these B renters taking the opportunity to go in, in a market like Nashville or Austin and seeing tremendous amount of supply. You're often getting one and one month to six weeks, even a little bit more than six weeks in some cases, of free rent in these A products, these brand new built products. And as a result, uh, what it's lending itself to is that B renter saying, okay, well, I'll jump out of that B product and be able to take advantage of some free rent being offered. And my net effective rent on the full year basis won't be all that different than what I'm currently paying. So that was certainly a a bit of a, a nuanced and differentiated take on how we're seeing the supply unfold. Yeah, super interesting stuff. And I think as as we think about the consumer, something else that we've really been watching is just the general strength of the consumer, which was fueled by all of that excess saving that we that we saved up during the pandemic. But much of that's really been spent at this point. Are you seeing that impact the retail sector? Yeah, so I would characterize that by saying that the the consumer's savings through uh, COVID and some of the stimulus that was given to people out of work, et cetera, during COVID has, has really been uh, weaned off and, and whittled through so that there's not really much left for particularly the lower income cohort. So unfortunately, when that excess savings comes off, it really first pinches on discretionary spending. Uh, and the way that coming through earnings, as I look through what was reported across retail, so we have kind of the, the larger mall closed in retail format, and then we also have more of the open air neighborhood shopping center format that's usually kind of a grocery anchored. Uh, center that we can probably all picture in our head. When we think about that, we look at the trailing 12-month sales of the malls, which is traditionally around 70% discretionary spending. So this is much more clothing, accessories, jewelry, et cetera. Those sales on a trailing 12-month basis have fallen between minus one and minus 4% 
on a trailing 12-month basis. So, and that's, by the way, that's a nominal number. So you have to think about that in the context of inflation running at 4%. And nonetheless, you still had negative uh, trailing 12-month sales. And then you juxtapose that against the open-air neighborhood grocery anchored shopping center, and you're looking at positive 3 to 5% still on these reported numbers on a trailing 12-month basis. And so it's really showing that the discretionary spending, which is uh, more times than not the first to go, uh, is certainly showing up across the read earnings that we just saw reported. And, and unfortunately, that's really coming, like I said, at hitting the wallets of the lower-end consumer the most. Yeah. And, and the last thing I want to touch on here, Patrick, is the general capital strength of the REITs. How are these companies positioned in terms of their balance sheet, leverage levels, and maybe even just their access to debt and equity capital markets? And how do you think that plays into their ability to really play offense here in terms of where we are in the current real estate cycle? So it's a key point to, uh, and should be mentioned, that REITs are in a very enviable position as it relates to leverage on their balance sheet. So typically we would think about private real estate. Uh, most people solve for something around a 60% loan to value type leverage levels. And currently we're sitting at low 30s, called 33% leverage on an implied basis across the REITs. And so what does that mean? That, that means that you have a lot of dry powder on the, the balance sheet that you can actually deploy. And as we look through uh, the rate hikes and interest rates moving higher, uh, there's going to be a need for liquidity on the other end because anybody who has some of these refinancings that are rolled over, particularly in the private realm, uh, where they were already sitting at a 60, 65% LTV, let's say, and they're having debt that was in the 3 or 4% range that's now rolling to the 6 to 8% range, that becomes a very painful refinancing. And so in many cases, there might have to be some assets disposed of uh, to create some liquidity. Uh, for those entities. And that's where we really think that the REITs could flex their muscle, utilize their lower levered balance sheet. And for those that are in kind of a privileged position, having a, a very accretive cost of capital, you know, some names in the senior housing space, skilled nursing facilities as well. If you think about the healthcare vertical, there's definitely some room as well as in, in retail. Uh, there's definitely some room for some of them to be able to flex some of their balance sheets and take down some really good assets that may have gotten a little bit over their skis in terms of having leverage coming into this rate hiking cycle being a little bit too high and those refinancings being too painful. Yeah, I think when you have times of volatility and dislocation, you always end up finding really interesting opportunities. Great. Well, I think that's all we have time for here today. Patrick, thanks again for joining us. We'll be taking a quick break next week to celebrate Thanksgiving here in the U.S., but we'll be back the week after that with another episode of Front and Center. Thanks for listening to Front and Center. You can subscribe on your favorite streaming platform and please be sure to leave us a review. To stay up to date, you can visit our website at centersquare.com to access our thought leadership, sign up for our mailing list, or contact our team. We look forward to hearing from you. The content of this podcast is informational only and represents the viewpoints of the presenters at the time of recording. It should not be regarded as a solicitation nor investment advice. All information presented is subject to change at any time based on new data, analysis, or market conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.